Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come before you and to look at your word and to see what you would have us to learn from this. And as we study the book of Isaiah, that you will guide and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Isaiah 7, starting at verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pukah, the son of Remulah, the king of Israel, went up against Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told of the house of David, saying, Syria is a confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, you and Sherezashub, your son. How would you like to have the name Sherezashub, guys? Uh, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool of the highway of the fuller's field, and say to them, Take heed and be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of this smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and of the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, have taken evil counsel against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make it a breach therein for us, and set up a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tebulah. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years shall Ephraim be broken, that it not be a people, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remulus' son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. All right, so we're going to look at this, um, starting out at verse 1. It says it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Ahaz is toward the end of Isaiah's prophecy time. He's got one more king, Hezekiah, after that. But all of a sudden, we have gone from the beginning of his reign, his rule as a prophet, all the way, you know, way toward the uh, middle, higher part of the middle part of his time. And Ahaz is an evil king. In uh, first, uh, Second Kings 16.2, it says that he did not good unto the Lord. So he is one of the evil kings of Judah. And we've talked about this. Remember, after, after Solomon reigned, the kingdom split into two. We have Israel to the north, sometimes called Ephraim, sometimes called Israel, uh, sometimes just called the northern kingdom. And then we have the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, sometimes Israel to make things really interesting for us, and, and the southern kingdom. And uh, Ahaz is in charge of that kingdom. Isaiah is the prophet. So the time frame that we're looking at is moving toward the end of his uh, prophecy days. And he says that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pukah, king of Israel are coming to attack him. All right, now he is not a good king. He has no great desire to follow God. But now he's kind of wondering, should I have been following God? Because now I've got an enemy coming outside my gate. And uh, they're coming. And it says that they could not prevail. Even though Ahaz is an evil king, God is not going to let him prevail over Judah. And the reason is because he promised 
David that he would have a seed on his throne throughout eternity, you know, throughout perpetuity. And so these kings, when, even when they went bad, God says, I'm going to give them their kingdom for David's sake. Same reason that Israel is blessed, not because they do anything, do everything right, but because God told Abraham, your seed shall be blessed. And it's his grace. Israel today is a nation, not because of anything the, the Jews do or don't do, because right now they're pretty bad people. They don't believe in God. They don't follow God as, as a group. And yet God says, because I made a promise to Abraham that you're a nation again. And, of course, we know that they had to be a nation because all through Revelation it talks about the Jewish people. And so they need to be a nation so that the end time prophecies can come true. So God made them a nation again. And that's where we're looking at as we go forward. All right, so, and it was verse 2, and it was told the house of David or, or Ahaz, the, the, Jude, the, king, the kingdom of Judah, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, Ephraim, and his heart was moved and his heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with, with the wind. And this is a very poetic way to say that they were shaken. <laughs> they were basically trembling their boots. Uh, here they are, one small nation, and there's two big nations coming against them. And, you know, I, I just, it was very poetic as the, wind, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind, you know. And, and I don't think the wind is being disguised as just a light breeze where they're, they're rustle, rustling. But even that, if you've been in a, been someplace where the trees are rustling in, in the wind, basically he's saying that they were shaking. They are terrified. Here is two enemies coming against them. And this king has no... Uh, belief in God, no trust in God, so he has no desire to see that work out, and he has nobody to pray to other than the gods that he worships, and he knows that they're not all that strong, so he's looking at a big, big problem. No place to put his confidence, and this is something that we as Christians have great hope in. When an enemy comes against us, we trust in God, knowing that God will be able to give us an answer and deliverance. Not always the deliverance that we want. Uh, oftentimes we get things that look bad to us and we go, God, I just don't understand why this is happening to me. But God says, have patience, have patience, and we'll see where that leads to. And so the people, the king is, the king is all afraid. He's shaking in his boots. And then verse 3 says, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go now and meet Ahaz, you and and." Sirahashub, your son, at the end of the conduit by the upper pool in the highway, in the highway of the Fuller's Field. So he's given him a very specific place, and every place I look, nobody knows where that place is in Jerusalem anymore. They can't, they can't find the landmarks uh, because the, this waterway has ceased to exist a long time ago. Uh, after after Ahaz, eventually they dug a tunnel for their water supply into. Jerusalem so that they could not be conquered so this conduit this water pipeway was not been known its locations known so we don't know exactly in our day where they were told to go when it was being ridden they would have known oh yeah we know exactly where fuller that is the uh, the cleaners the bleachers <laughs> The fullers, the fullers, uh, 
puller is the one that whitens their clothes, bleaches their clothes. So this field is where they do the laundry by the conduit where the water would be. So when it says, it says, take your son, which means a remnant shall return. And that's quite a name that he was given. A remnant shall return. And, and so Isaiah's taken his son to meet the king. And he's got a message for him. And the message that he's told to give him in verse 4 is, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted. For the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and, and Siri, and for the, the son of Remlah. In other words, he says, you know, first off, take heed. Listen to what I'm saying. So many times when we are instructed by good godly counsel, we do not listen. You know, we'll immediately come up with reasons why God's way is not the right way for me. Okay, and, and we've all done that in our lifetime. You know, God, you say such and such, but you know, God, if you just understood my position and where I'm at in my life, you would understand that I can't follow your rules. And this is, it happens all the time. People will do it all the time. An example I used just the other night, you're working for a company and they're, and they're asking you to do things that are against the law or at least misleading. And you, uh, you go in and you go, God, I can't work for this company. I need to leave. But immediately you know that's what God wants you to do. But you go, well, if I leave this company, I won't have a job and I won't be able to pay my bills. And, and we go down this whole long line of excuses why we can't be obedient to God. And we do this kind of stuff in many areas of our life. God, I just can't do what you said. You said to love this person, but God, if you really knew this person, you wouldn't love them. I'm sure God, God doesn't do that to us. <laughs> because he would not love us if he said, well, okay, you know, you're just so bad, I'm not going to love you, so I'm not going to send Jesus to die for you. But yet we will make that excuse. God, if you just knew how really rotten this person was to me, you wouldn't ask me to love this person. You wouldn't expect me to do good to that person. We do this kind of thing all the time, and here the very first thing they're said is take heed. Listen to what I'm going to say. And then he says, be quiet. In other words, don't give us a bunch of excuses why you're not going to do it. And just think about this. He's looking at this battle coming to him. He's outnumbered probably at least two to one, even though it doesn't tell us that because it's two, two big nations and probably more. So, and he's saying he's going to be told, just be quiet. God's got this. And he's going to be looking out at this enemy saying, ah, can't do that. God, uh, they outnumber us a whole lot. God, uh, you don't understand. They're out here to destroy us. They're, you know, just sitting here listening to you and being quiet is not going to win this battle. You know, Ahaz is going to have all kinds of, you know, thoughts in his mind and, and complaints that have come to his lips. And he says, and Isaiah's already anticipating that. He says, listen and be quiet. Don't be sitting here giving me all your excuses why what I'm going to tell you is not going to be good. And then he gives them the next one, fear not. Now, the statement fear not in the Bible is used uh, probably 600 times. Fear not. Why? Because we as human beings tend to fear. We're afraid of everything. And oftentimes we're afraid of nothing. Now, how many times in your lifetime have you been afraid of something that never happened? And you worried and worried and worried and worried and worried and worried, and the next thing you know, you walk, it went right past, and you're going, oh, nothing happened. And you wasted a lot of energy worrying. God keeps telling us, don't fear. We're to cast all our cares upon him, 
for he cares for us. And what does he ask? He says, fear him. Fear him, because he's the one that controls the future. He's the one that, that holds our fate in our hand. Even though sometimes we think we control where, where our life is going, we don't have any control. It's an all, all an illusion. And then he says, beyond besides fearing not, be not faint-hearted. Faint-hearted. And that means collapsing. <laughs> Literally, quit, quit collapsing at the idea of this enemy. And so here's the word to the king. Be quiet, uh, listen, be quiet, and do not be afraid, and do not be faint-hearted. And this is somebody that's being told this, who's looking out at an army surrounding his city, looking to replace him as, as the king. All right? From a human point of view, he has every reason to be terrified, scared, and and nervous but God says don't don't be that way do not be what the world leads you to believe be and this is so important for us as believers are we going to believe God's word whatever it might say to us or are we going to lean on our own understanding and say uh, well God uh, yeah, nice words they, they may you know they sound really nice but you know, and as soon as we start putting that but in there, God, you said to, to share the gospel with other people, but God, you know, uh, I don't know enough, or they, they're scared, or, you know, they're scary looking, or I, I'm afraid they're going to ask me some questions I don't know, and we keep giving all these ex excuses why we can't be obedient to God's word. And the thing we need to be able to decide is, am I going to believe his word no matter what it says? And, or am I just going to make excuses? God, your word's really good, but. Uh, and I hear them all the time. You know, I hear them all the time from people. Well, God, you know, uh, I really got in this really bad situation because situations. Well, maybe if you hadn't overextended yourself, the situations wouldn't have been there in the first place, you know, and sin has consequences. We talk about that, and God says to, to honor him. And we need to be very careful of this. Obey his word, even when it doesn't make any sense to be, obey his word, because God has a longer picture than we do. Matter of fact, this is an eternal picture. He knows what's going to happen when we get to heaven and the rewards for it. So we need to be listening. And he says, those two tales of the fire, smoking firebrands. And firebrand is the, the torch as it's going out, and it smokes, and it's an ember. So he says, you're afraid of these guys and they're just a bunch of smoke, is really what he's saying in a very poetic way. You know, just a bunch of smoke out there and you're terrified of them? I have control over them. I have victory over them. And you know, the thing about this we've got to understand is God is always in control. He is sovereign. He knows what's happening. He has a reason for whatever happens to us. And sometimes what happens to us is simply because we have been disobedient. And if we're disobedient, there's consequences. And God says, you're, you're suffering the consequences, but I still have a plan. Okay? God is not surprised. Even when we sin and do the wrong thing, God is not surprised. And if we're his child, he says, I've got a, good, I've got a plan for that. And he's going to use that for us. It may teach us to grow. It may teach us not to do the same thing again in the future. You know, discipline is supposed to hurt. You know, 
you know, maybe, I know that surprises, especially you young guys here, but discipline is supposed to hurt. It's supposed to hurt enough that we don't want to do the wrong thing again. So it is something that God does to us. He sometimes will allow things that hurt us so that we will be obedient and not go into the wrong direction later on. And this is why, you know, as parents, parents will discipline their children if they care for them because they don't want their children keep doing the same things that lead to wrong decisions. So we look at, we look at this and say, and God says, you're afraid of these guys and they're nothing but smoking embers. Now he's looking at them and there's great armies coming out to fight him. And he's got, from a human viewpoint, something to fear. Two big armies. <laughs> All right? But God's saying, hey, they're nothing but smoke. Smoke and mirrors out there. I don't have to worry about them. Yeah. Our problem in our walk is most of the time we look at the smoking embers and say, God, there's a real big problem out there. And God says, no, there's not. Elijah is in his home and is with his servant, and he's surrounded by the army, and his servant comes in and says, you know, hey, we got a really big problem. There's, there's a whole army out there, and, oh, excuse me, Elisha, and Elisha says, God, open his eyes, and he, and he goes out and looks, and there's an, the angels have surrounded the army that surrounded them. Okay, and he says, why are you worried? Yeah, there's, you know, 1,000 to 1 or 5,000 to 1, but, you know, out around them is an army that numbers, outnumbers them by 10, 10 to 100 to 1. We need to keep this in mind. When God's on our side, nothing can, nothing can defeat us. Nothing. Even myself can't defeat myself because God will say, I'm still in control. I may do things that are harmful to me, and God says, okay, here's the consequence to those activities, but he still has a plan to help me down the road. And God says, I'm on your side. What can separate us from the love of God? You know, Paul asks us in Romans, nothing. Neither height, nor depth, nor width, nor, nor anything. No spiritual things, nor anything can keep us from God's love. God cares that much for us. And this is what he's telling Ahaz. Ahaz, a wicked king saying, don't worry about it, I've got this one. Yeah. I know you've been worshiping other gods, I know that you're not following me, you're not, you're not worshiping me, but I'm going to protect you, I'm going to deliver you. Quite a statement toward a king who doesn't honor God, who doesn't love God, probably isn't going to go to heaven you know, for the way we see his life. And yet God says, I'm going to protect you and your people. Why? Probably because there was enough righteous people in, in Jerusalem to be protected. And God says, I'm going to protect them, and I'm going to do it for David's sake. And if not for David's sake, I'm going to do it for Abraham's sake. So we see this very beautiful uh, coverage. And then he says, because in verse 5, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Rimla have taken evil counsel against you, saying, let us go against Judah to vex it, and let us make a breach therein, and set a king upon in the midst of it, even the son of and so what they're come to do is destroy Jerusalem. They were going to vex it, make it a loathing, make, it, make them people not happy. And oftentimes in our life, the enemy comes against us to try to get us vexed or to loathe what's going on. And so oftentimes we, get, we fall into it. God, I am just so miserable. Such and such is happening. This is happening. All these bad things are happening. God, I don't understand. And we look at Job went through that. And remember the story of Job. Job's going along. He's happy. He's got lots of money. He's, he's, 
offering sacrifices. His children have parties once a week, and he goes out and he immediately prays for his, his children after their party. He offers sacrifices for forgiving of them. And you know, not that you can, but he's doing this, trying to honor God. And Satan comes along and he says, and God says to Satan, have you considered Job? <laughs> have you thought about Job? Would you like to, would you like to give Job some trouble? <clears throat> Satan says, of course I do, but you, you, you can, you're not letting me. And God says, okay, now you can. Now you can. You can go out and give Job a hard time. So we, we see this. God can give permission at times for things to happen to us. But he has a plan. Just as he did in Job's life. Job had everything taken away from him. All of his possessions, all of his children, you know, all, all of his friends that he had because they, didn't, they thought he was a really bad person. And then we see God blessing him at the very end. And it says, they came to Vexit to, pray, to bring a beach, breach into the city so that they could set up a king of their own. And the king they wanted to put up with, with uh, put in his place was the son of Tebalal. Nobody knows who Tebalal is. They be- most people believe that he was a general in one of the two armies. Okay, we're going to destroy this, and we're not even going to put one, of, and what it basically was coming down to is, we're not even going to put one of our sons on this throne of, of Israel. We're, going to, we're just going to put a general in charge of it. You know, they're not even worth, this country's not even worth putting one of our sons in charge of, is what they're saying. You know, pretty, pretty negative thinking, and this is one of the reasons God's saying, okay, you're, you are making fun of my city, my people, I'm going to, I'm going to defend it. And then, verse 7, Thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. This, their statement is not going to happen. They are not going to take this city. You know, and God, when he stands for us, if we would just stand still and let God be our defense, we are so much better off by letting him be our defender. If we try to defend myself, at least in my experience, if I try to defend myself, I mess it up every time. If I try to defend others many times, it'll get messed up. God says he will be our defender. He will stand. Just as he told King Ahaz, I will stand for you. Their ideas will not come to pass. And so many times if we just relax in God. And the most important thing, here you see Ahaz. Ahaz is evil and God is still blessing him. This is a rarity. Usually if we do the wrong things, we don't get any blessing. And it's very true that if we make bad decisions, we cannot get to a righteous conclusion. Okay? If I keep making bad decisions, I will not end up at a good place. Because God will say, your, your decisions have consequences. Now I can repent and I can re- and ask God's forgiveness and he can then just pick me up and say, okay, here's where you are. I'm going to put you over here. Not because of those decisions, but because of his grace. He puts us someplace else when we repent. But if we keep following the bad decisions, he will just say, well, you, you keep following your path. It's the wrong direction. And very important. And here he's saying, I'm going to do this for my sake. I'm going to protect you for my sake, not, not for yours. And it says, for the head of Syria is Damascus. The head of Damascus is Rezin. There, and within 65 years shall Ephraim be broken, and it shall not be a people... This is a prophecy that says within 65 years of the prophecy, they will go into captivity, and they go into captivity to Assyria. 
just a few years after this prophecy, which I'm going to say was less than 65 years, they're going to go into captivity. And we could look at the, ma you know, the, ca the calendars, but the King uh, Remuel is, uh, Pekah is the third from the last king of Judah. And one of them only gets to reign for about six months. <laughs> All right. So this prophecy is very close to the fulfillment. Uh, don't worry about these guys. They're not even going to, you know, they're not even going to have a chance to come back at you later on. They're going to be gone in 65 years. What a, what a blessing when God says your enemy is going to be departed. I have seen people who have attacked other Christians, especially pastors, and watched their lives be destroyed because of their attacking of God's people. God does not play games when you attack his people. And he, he, doesn't, play, he doesn't let others play, get, get away with attacking his children either. Because he says there is going to be a retribution. And you know, if we stand out of the way, God defends. And this is something I've learned the hard way because I've defended myself many times and made a big mess of things and I've had to learn the hard way. Just let God defend. You know, that doesn't mean I let people do bad things to me, but it just means I'm going to say, God, you're my defender. People are speaking against me, you're my defender. Now they're attacking me, I'll probably defend myself in the midst of the attack, but I'm not going to go out and try to preemptively strike against them. And God says, he is our defender. And he says, uh, verse 9, And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remelah's son. If you do not believe, surely you shall not be established. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to deliver you, and if you don't believe, you're not going to be established. And his kingdom wasn't really established. They're going to go, they're going to go down. They're going to have a hard time later on. But because he did not believe in, in God's word. And this is so important. We go back to what I said at the very beginning. Do we believe what God says? Are we going to follow it? Or am I going to make excuses for not following it? Am I, am I going to not, not look at him to, to deliver? And if we don't, God may still deliver. He may still hold his promise. That's up to him. It's his free will. But we'll have consequences for it. And this consequence was, I'm going to deliver you, but your kingdom will not be established. All right? And we see that happening quite often in God's word. All right. He got protected, but he didn't get the blessing that he would have had if he had believed. If he had believed, it would have been established. And uh, remember, he's an evil king, so he's, he's not really wanting to talk to Isaiah in the first place. Okay? Isaiah represents the God that he's not really following, so this is, this is he's already inclined to not believe. Verse 10, Moreover, the Lord spoke again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask you a sign of the Lord your God. Ask it either in your depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he, answered, and he said, Hear you now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, and he, that he may know to refuse evil and choose good. But before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you abhor shall be forsaken of both her kings. All right. So here we get a kind of an interesting picture. He, um, 
Isaiah tells Ahaz, ask a sign of God and make it anything, whether it's in the lower or upper, anything you want to ask. Ask God a sign. Now, this is something that all through the scriptures we're told not to do, and the people who do are showing a lack of faith. Ahaz gives a quite an, answer, quite an interesting answer because he says, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. What he's trying to do is make it look like he's a righteous person. I am so righteous, I don't need a sign from God. Yeah, he's trying to look righteous. And this is something that we see frequently, and we want to be very careful of this in our life. We do not want to pretend at being something that we're not. Because that's hypocrisy. And people do not like hypocrites. If somebody says one thing and does another, it's immediately picked up and said, well, you said you'd never lie, and here you are lying all over the place. You said you would never do whatever it is, and you went right out and did it. This is something we have to be careful of because hypocrisy leads people away from God. It's the way people look at the church and say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, in one sense, yes, of course it is. We're sinners. We're going to make mistakes. Now, the thing is, if you don't try to purposely make those mistakes, you know, we're, we're going to be bad enough making them. But, you know, we'll tell people, you know, uh, honor authority, pray for your government, and then we'll do nothing but gripe about the government and authority, and people will look and say, well, I thought you were saying honor them, and all we're doing is gripe, 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 gripe. Well, we're not honoring the authority in, in reality, and, we're, and people will look at it and say, well, I thought you said do it. You said to honor them. You said to be obedient, and yet you're not doing that. And we want to be very careful of this. This is what Ahaz is doing. He's an evil king saying, uh, I don't need to ask God for a sign. Uh, I, I know better than to tempt him. And this, of course, angers Isaiah because God, number one, told him to ask, for, ask him for a sign. So it's like, okay, you were just told by God, and I told you to, to listen. Now you're, not, now you're not even doing what, we're told, what we told you to do. And that's when he said, now hear, o, o house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? Okay, you've, been leading, you've been leading the nation in the wrong direction. Okay? And you, thought, you think that's a small thing, and that's bad enough. Okay? God tells leaders that they are accountable for what, how they lead. Okay, whether they be a pastor in their teaching or a, or, or a teacher or a father or a mother or a king or a governor. And he says, you think it's a small thing? You're leading your nation away from God and you think that's a small thing? Are you going to worry my God as well? God told you to do something and now you're not even going to obey, obey him? Isaiah is getting a little testy here. Okay. Uh, you know, you're, you're bad enough, you know, messing up your people and the accountability you've got there, you think it's just a small deal, and now you're going to disobey God. And then he says, okay, therefore the Lord himself will give you a, a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now this is a very famous message. If you've ever been around Christmas time at all, you hear this all the time, being talked about toward Jesus. There was also an immediate feeling of this that a young woman got married and had a, had a child who named his child, hurt their child, Emmanuel. So that was the immediate. And one thing when you're in this Old Testament, the prophecies have an immediate fulfillment, partial fulfillment, and then they have a longer term 
uh, complete fulfillment. And they have to have a, a fulfillment short term because a prophet who said a prophecy that did not come true could be stoned. All right. So if you say, you know, if you wanted to take that logic and, you know, uh, Isaiah could have said the virgin is going to give birth and it's going to happen 800 years from now and you're not going to know whether, whether I spoke the truth or not. And God says, no, we're going to give a young woman who just got married a child and they're going to name their child Emmanuel, but the real one is Jesus Christ 800 years later. And we see this all through the scriptures. There's an immediate partial answer to the to, to this, and then a full an, a fulfillment later on. Because every once in a while you'll hear somebody explain, you know, well, yeah, there, there was this virgin in the, in the king's court and she gave birth. Okay, good. Yes, that was, the, that was the short term. All right. And it says, butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse evil and choose good. Butter and honey were the rewards for doing good. Matter of fact, in their day, when, you, when they would teach a child to memorize scripture, the reward for, teach, for learning your scriptures was honey. Uh, you got to taste honey. And, um, because honey was valuable. Honey was the, was the sweetener. You didn't just waste it, so it wasn't used all the time, but it was, it was used as a reward. They would get to, and all through the, the book of Psalms, we read, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's referring to the idea of you have the honey for the reward. And that was what it was referring to. And so, so these things, he's going to get to know God's word, and he's going to learn to choose good. For before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose good, the land that you abhor shall be forsaken of both her kings. The land that you abhor, Ephraim and Syria. And it says before this child that's going to be born has grown up, before he's even old enough to know good and evil, Ephraim and Syria will be taken into captivity. So no more than 65 years. So this, this uh, virgin that's going to give birth has to be about probably 62, 63 years down the road because the son can't be that old afterwards. And those, both those nations will go into captivity. And they went into captivity of, of Assyria. They were both taken into captivity. So this is a prophecy that is immediately fulfilled and you know, the one thing that helps us to know that the word of God is 100% true is all the fulfilled prophecy. God gives prophecy, then fulfills it, and there's prophecies that are still coming true to this day that are being fulfilled. We see the prophecies of Jesus being born, dying, and resurrected, and go look at all these prophecies and say, this is him. You know, the idea that he was prophesied so many things, he'd be born in Bethlehem, he'd be called a Nazarite, which didn't make any sense to people hearing that in the first place, because Bethlehem is down toward the south part of the country, and Nazareth is up on the northern part of the country. So how can he be, be born in Bethlehem and be called a Nazarite? It didn't make sense to them, because they weren't the people that traveled a lot. You pretty much stayed within 30 or 40 miles of where you were born in most cases. So that was kind of a mystery to them. It talked about the way he would die and the fact that the, chi the, the king would kill, kill all the children. And her what did Herod do? He killed all the children under two years old. All these things that were, were fulfilled. And there's hundreds of prophecies just about the birth of Jesus that were fulfilled. And the, the odds of those all being fulfilled would be very low. You wouldn't make that bet. <laughs> you would never make that bet if you were a gambling person. 
Then that gets in, then we go into his death, burial, and resurrection that had a whole bunch of prophecies that were fulfilled. And now we've got the future ones of his second coming and the millennial reign of, the, of Jesus. Verse 17, the Lord shall bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah even to the king of Assyria. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost part of the rivers of, Ni of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they shall come and shall rest all of them in the desolate valleys and in the holes of the rocks and upon all the thorns and upon all the bushes. In the same day shall the Lord shave with a razor that is hired, namely by them beyond the river, by the king of Assyria, the head and hair and feet, and it shall be consumed, so also consume the beard. And it shall come to pass in day, that day that a man shall nourish a young cow and two sheep, and it shall come to pass for the abundance of milk that they shall give, he shall eat butter, for butter and honey shall come everyone eateth that is left in the land. And it shall come to pass in that day, and every place shall, that shall be, that there were a thousand vines and a thousand silver, silverings that it even be for the briars and thorns. With arrows and with bows shall men come thither, because all the land shall become as briars and thorns. And in all the hills that be dug in the mat mattock, there shall not come thither the, the fear of briars and thorns, and it shall be for the sending forth of oxen and for the treading of the lesser cattle. All right. So here is his prophecy of what's going to happen after these two nations are destroyed. He says in verse 17, the Lord shall, be, shall bring upon you and all the people of the Father's house and that they come now and the day of Ephraim departed from Judah even unto the kings of Assyria. So these two kings have departed. And he says in verse 18, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall hiss for the fly that is in the uttermost parts of the rivers of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria, and hiss is a whistle. He's going to whistle. He's going to call. He's going to call for the flies. He's going to call for the bees. Uh, basically, God's saying, I've got the power to, for even the animals to pay attention to me. You know, and sometimes we forget this about how powerful our God is. You know, most of the time, we forget how powerful he is. You know, we get along, and we just get caught up in our day. And human beings walk by sight. We always do. Or shouldn't say always, but that is our tendency to walk by sight. And God says, I've got a plan. I've got something. I, I control the very nature. The animals are going to come at my call. When Noah was building the ark and God, it said God sent the animals to him two by two. There's a lot of people that picture Noah running all over the place trying to gather up the animals. No, he stood at the entrance of the ark and God sent the animals that he wanted. And all he had to do was say, come on aboard, come on aboard, come on aboard. God sent all the animals he wanted on the ark. God controls nature. He controls the weather. He controls the animals. He, everything is under his control. He's in charge. Verse 19, and they shall come and the rest of them that are of desolate valleys and the holes and the rocks and upon the thorns and upon the bushes. So. God calls for the flies and the bees, and they are going to inhabit the two nations that are desolate. Okay, they were conquered, their people have been taken out, and God says, I'm going to fill it with things that nobody wants, bees and flies, and, and briars and, and, and thorns. 
all kinds of wonderful things. In verse 20, in that day shall the Lord shave with the razor that is hired, namely by them beyond the river, by the king of Assyria, the head and the hair and the feet, and it shall also consume the beard. And it shall come to pass in that day that man shall nourish the young cow and two sheep. So God says, I'm going to come along. This king thinks he's something special. He conquered, he conquered Israel. He's conquered all these things. I'm going to... The idea of shaving them was to embarrass them. When they conquered these guys, they would shave, you know, they, they, they would keep a long beard, and that was a symbol of their maturity. And to really insult a person of that day, you shave their beard, their hair, and everything. And he says, there's going to come a time when these guys are going to be humbled. They think there's something great, they're going to be humbled. God gets his way in the end. Israel was conquered, and they were sent back to their land. Nebuchadnezzar conquers them. His son rules, his grandson rules, and God sends them back, back after they're, after they're conquered. God will always win in the end. Job is a great example. Job looks like everything's wrong, and God rewards him after he humbles himself and repents, and he prays for his wonderful friends that kept telling him how bad he was, and he prays for them, and they get forgiven. And God blesses uh, Job, and he gives him two times, twice as much as he started with on everything except for wives. <laughs> he only still kept one wife. But he ended up with twice as much stuff, and he got another set of kids, another set of uh, nine children, and the first nine were in heaven, so he got twice as many children. So he, he was blessed at the end. God, win. God wins and he blesses. You know, we look at even like Jesus' life. He died on the cross, and most people would look at, oh, look at that, he's a total failure. And God resurrected him and, brought, and won in the end and built the church. You know, uh, we look at somebody like Paul, arrested. Do you realize that most of Paul's ministry, he wrote most of the books of the Bible that he wrote from prison? when he was just in prison writing, writing to all these people and answering their questions. And people would have, look, Paul, you spent, you spent the last uh, years of your life in prison. What, did, what, what good was that? And he goes, look, look at all I've done. I've, I've established doctrine. I've given, I've given teaching to these people. God gives us winning positions even when it looks like it is not right. And the world will look at it and say, what a bunch of losers. And they'll oftentimes point to Christians. You guys are just a bunch of losers. You, you don't have millions of dollars in the bank and, and a car with a six-car garage and the 20 bedrooms in it. I don't know why anybody wants 20 bedrooms, but you, know, you don't have all this stuff. And we go, but we have God. We have a future. We have peace. We have, we have his grace. And so God says, I'm going to humble these leaders who think that they're got everything all made. And then it says that a man will raise two, a cow and two sheep. And it shall come to pass that the abundance of milk that they shall give, he shall eat butter and butter for honey and everyone that eats that is left in the land. So these animals are going to give an abundance of milk, an abundance of butter, so much so that they're going to be full. And that's not too bad from one cow and two sheep. That's a, lot of, that's a lot of milk you, you know, to get from one, you know, these three animals. And yet he says, they're going to be enough to feed your with no problem. And it's going to pass in that day that every place shall be where there were a thousand vines and a thousand 
silverlings, and it shall even be for briars. So all the fields are going to be briar patches. You know, and it's an amazing thing to see how the world, how nature will take over civilized areas. You know, if you don't believe it, just look around our own town. If any place that has an empty spot ends up getting all kinds of thorns and bushes and, and uh, you know, all kinds of stuff that you don't want there. Uh, if, you, if you look at South America and Central America where the Aztecs had really developed a civilization, you could be within 100 feet of it if you don't know where it's at, and it's so overgrown with jungle that you would never see the beautiful buildings that they had built, which aren't so beautiful now because they have been overrun by nature. Nature and weeds will take over everything, given enough time. And you know, we build these things, we think we've got these great big edifices that will last forever. Well, they don't last very long when they're not taken care of. Things that we build fall apart. Things that we build caref and carefully take care of fall apart. <laughs> You know, our cars fall apart, our houses fall apart, our roads fall apart, you know, our bodies fall apart. <laughs> you know, sometimes they fall apart because we don't take care of them, but they're going to fall apart even if we do take care of them. I've seen people who are very much in their athletics and watch everything they eat and they still get sick. They still get old. They still get weak because that is the consequence of sin. Sin brings decay and destruction. And Adam and Eve, when they sinned, brought sin and decay and destruction upon the, every aspect of this world. And we're dealing with that even to this day. Verse 24, with bows and with arrows shall men come hither, because all the land shall become fire, briars and thorns. In other words, they've got to come with weapons because it's dangerous. And we all kind of know this. If you go out to where there's wilderness and there's no civilization, it's a dangerous place to be whether it's wild animals or snakes or even just wild people. <laughs> yeah, it's a dangerous place to be out where, where all the thorns and briars are. And on all the hills that be dug with the mattock, there shall come neither the, the fear of the briars or the thorns, but it shall be for the sending forth of oxen and for the treading of the lesser cows. In other words, they're just going to be pasture lands. Nothing there. They've dug holes. They've dug, they've dug, they've dug wells. And those have gone. And it says it'll be for the oxen and for the other, all the other cattle. The cattle will get to feed on the, on the, on the land, not the people. So this is the, the picture that God says to the King Ahaz. He goes, I'm going to deliver you, and this is what's coming in, there, coming in there. Now, he doesn't talk about how long it's going to be, because it's going to take a long time for this all to happen. But it does happen. We see that whole area being desolate. And even to this day, most of that area is desolate and been destroyed. And that was all part of the prophecy that God said, these kings coming against you are going to be judged. And we just keep that in mind. When God says that he's going to protect us and he's going to judge for us, who knows what's going to happen in the long run. And it may be long term that their judgment comes. But the wicked will never prosper in the long run. The righteous prosper, the wicked do not prosper in the long run. Now, prospering might mean that we prosper in heaven. Might mean that we get some blessings on this earth, and most likely we'll get some blessings on this world. Will we be rich and millions of dollars in the bank? Probably not for most of us. But God could if he said that that was what was best for us. But the thing God knows is that wealth for most people take them away from God. 
seen it over and over. People get a little wealthy, get a little, uh, get a little well off, and, and they start buying toys, and then the next thing you know, they got to play with their toys. God, I have my, my vacation house. I've got to go visit my vacation house and use it. God, I've got my quad. I've got to go use my quad and go play. I've got my, my dirt, dirt bike. I've got to get out and use it. You know, and I've got my this, that, or the other thing. And next thing you know, they're not serving God anymore because they're so busy living with their blessings. And many times God will say, no, I'm not giving all those blessings because all it does is take you away from me. It takes your dependence away from me. Now, if you can live in, in dependence on God with the blessings, he's going to give you the blessings. Why? Because he knows you're going to use those blessings for his kingdom. And that doesn't mean you can't use any of them for yourself, but it is going to be used correctly. And God says, if you can do that, you'll get blessed. And so we want to look at, at what God's saying and learn to listen to God. Be obedient to God and, and follow what he says in his word. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the, your love and your care. We ask you to go with us and, and keep us. Lord, help us to be obedient to you in all things. Help us to make good, godly decisions and see the reward from them all. In Jesus' name, amen.